The images of destruction from Ukraine, the indiscriminate targets targeting of civilians affects us all. For some, though, particularly those trained to operate in a conflict zone, there's also a tremendous urge to help, knowing that they have skills that can and will save lives. My next guests are both military veterans, one with the Canadian Armed Forces, another as a British Army medic. They both now live and work in Canada, one in B.C., one in Ontario. Chris Kettler and Jordan Searle in mid-March went on a different kind of mission, part of a small team that flew to England to pick up three fully equipped and donated ambulances to drive them to Ukraine. So we're delivering uh, ambulances and medical supplies, and we're hoping to maybe pick up some patients and bring them out if they have to be ambulatory or not. Amazing, and then you say you're flying home afterwards? Yeah, well, yeah. we don't know how for long, yeah, we're yeah. gonna stay as long as we can and help it as long as we can. Well, they're still there. They set up a makeshift hospital with trauma, surgical, and minor injuries capability in an old apartment block. They're delivering care to civilians. They're using their skills to provide training to others, but their medical supplies are almost non-existent. It can be a challenge to find the right moment to speak with people on or near the front lines in Kyiv. So we arranged for a call between Jordan and uh, Jordan and Chris and myself this morning, Pacific time. They were sharing their story and their thoughts about what they've seen, what they've been doing, when suddenly the reality of where they are became very real and they had to go. So here is my conversation earlier with Chris Kettler, a Canadian Forces veteran and Canada Border Services Agency officer, and Jordan Searle, a former British Army medic who works in Ontario as a paramedic with Orange Air Ambulance. They spoke to me earlier from Kiev. Thank you so much both for taking the time to speak with me tonight. God, they're our pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you very for much. having us. So I guess the, the basic question, just what's, what's an average day look like and what have you set up in Kiev to try to help with, uh, with the medical needs there? So we were sort of tasked uh, roughly when they found out uh, our uh, skills, equipment and abilities from Lviv and we were tasked, can we come to uh, Kiev to help set up a rudimentary uh, field hospital and sort of trauma station for them, um, in which we were like, yeah, absolutely no problem. Uh, there embarked a rather perilous sort of nine hour journey at about 120 kilometers an hour with a special police unit uh, escort. Uh, luckily, we were in three ambulances, so it wasn't too bad. Uh, but as you can imagine, moving three rather brightly colored vans, in essence, uh, across a war-torn country with constant fighting along the route uh, was a bit of a challenge in the first place. Uh, luckily, we got here all in one piece and we were sort of ushered to uh, what is known here as a territorial defense battalion. Now, in essence, these are local volunteers, Ukrainian, not foreign fighters uh, or Ukrainian citizens that volunteer to defend their sort of assigned area under the Kiev military doctrine. Um, included in this is several members of the uh, regular army, but majority of them are made up of uh, what would the loose term would be militia members. They receive basic rudimentary training um, into in soldiering and very, very limited in medical training. This is what we've sort of been uh, asked to specialize in for them. So we were given a building that is, in essence, was the community dentist and sort of healthcare centre. So think of the place that any regular Canadian would go for postnatal care, general practitioner woes, and sort of a minor injury urgent care centre. Um, and as such, we were given some empty rooms and told, can you help us? Uh, and since then, we've managed to now build a five-bed um, trauma slash emergency department, much like you would find in any Canadian hospital um, going at present, uh, with every piece of equipment 
that you would have in a Canadian hospital, minus the fact that most of it is probably 10 years older than what most of you would see in an average department. Um, from that there, we've been training uh, members of the local area and the local healthcare staff. So between dentists, uh, dental hygienists, uh, RNs, healthcare assistants, and even the veterinarians in how to provide emergency aid, along with some advanced trauma care uh, to the citizens in the area. So although it's uh, mainly a military facility or a rudimental military facility, is actually serving the local population because the nearest hospital is over 10 kilometers away and they have zero access to emergency services in forms of uh, the uh, ambulance service or so paramedics and or any kind of fire department at all for helping put out any of the fires. So the local population rely heavily on this facility as well, not just for emergency care should when uh, the shelling hits any of the local areas here, but also for their primary health care and sort of day-to-day -day needs as anyone else would need uh, help with. So as you can imagine, it's been a bit of a monumental task. Uh, luckily, my role in Orange is, you know, most people only think of the uh, Toronto helicopter and the big city skyscrapes, uh, but majority of the task is for Orange is in rural Canada. So, you know, the First Nation and remote communities uh, north of sort of Sudbury onwards. So we're pretty adept at sort of working in austere environments and making the most limited medical resources in order to make the most and also the health equality for everyone. So between that, uh, we've managed to set this facility up, train the staff in basic care and continued care. And at the same time, people like Chris and the rest of my team have been out training not just the local population, but also the Territorial Defence Force in what's known as TCCC, which is Tactical Combat Casualty Care. So that's the use of tourniquets, wound packing uh, and bandaging, as well as sort of general emergency aid for people suffering from traumatic uh, injuries. So it doesn't always have to be uh, bullets, bombs and blasts. Uh, you know, there's obviously still ongoing issues here outside of the war as well. People are still having general medical emergencies. And at the same time, we've also trained volunteers to crew two of the ambulances we've brought here as well. So as you can imagine, it's been a bit of a whirlwind round robin um, and a little bit sort of outside the normal scope of what most people in Canada would think a paramedic is sort of able to do, let alone um, a couple of guys that have all been in the military together. So yeah. we've managed to pull it all together so far, and it seems to be working perfectly for them. Chris, tell me, I mean, you, you spent time in Afghanistan. I think a lot of Canadians, I spent time in Afghanistan. I think a lot of Canadians are somewhat aware of how that worked. How different is this? Oh, I mean, uh, that's the thing. We talk about veterans and having military experience, but outside of Korea, nobody's fought in a conventional war. Um, it's, it's obviously much, much different. I mean, as Jordan mentioned to you here, um, what I've been doing mainly is the training side of the house with the local defense force and with some civilian population as well. And uh, just sitting down day to day, walking these guys through those TCCC skills and how to keep themselves alive. Uh, the other day, I had a young gentleman, he was 18 or 19 years old, and he said to me, well, straight to my face, he was one of the very few there that could actually speak English, um, I don't want to die, were some of the only words he got across to me. And uh, I mean, it's, it's a very different beast. It's, it's nightmarish to have the civilian population mixed in with the military and these, these bombings and the air raids that are coming in. They're being targeted indiscriminately. And I think that would be the big difference, seeing this beautiful city um, that's being turned into a war zone all around us. We know there's been talk that, that, that the Russians are pulling back, but I gather you're not seeing evidence of that yet. The fighting continues, or at least the indiscriminate showing continues. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think 
the early reports was that the Russians are pulling back. Now, obviously, we can't see Russians on our street as such, but we can see Russian fighting positions from sort of mm -hmm. roughly where we are. Um, and obviously, just before we spoke to you, was several large explosions in the uh, uh, IDF or indirect fire uh, air raid siren, as, as most people know, has been going off sort of constantly. The last sort of three days, the shelling has really intensified. Yes, we've kind of seen the opposite. And hopefully it will back. hopefully it will calm down, I think, in a little bit. But unfortunately, the local population here don't believe any of it. And it is. And I, I'm sort of on their waves at length now, unless we physically see it, it, it hasn't happened. Of course. I mean, they're tired of false promises. They've had a lot of them over the past three weeks. I can imagine. I mean, just tell me a bit about your motivation to go. What, what was it? Uh, obviously, you saw what was happening and decided there was a need. I know you went to, to bring those ambulances. You drove them across Europe. Um, what was the what was the motivation to be there, and and how important do you feel like the work you're doing is? It's you're you're saving lives quite literally. Well, I mean, you're you're exactly right. From from our armchairs in Canada, it's very easy to sit back and watch these things happening on the news, and it's very easy. And I'm not trying to say you know that people aren't doing what they can. Not at all. People help out as they can. Um, we just happen to be in a, a very specific position where we believed we had the skill sets, the resources, and the ability to genuinely do something about it. And my motivation, it's, it's my children. I'm trying to raise them to try to make this world a better place. And I think to myself, what kind of man would I be if I didn't set that example for my children and show them that if you have the ability to do something about it, to stop people being harmed in the world, you have a responsibility to get up and do something about it if you can. And that's why I'm here for, for my kids. So hopefully they don't have to do the same kind of work in the future. I was going to say, I mean, both of you have seen war. Um, how much different an experience, and you were describing it earlier, Chris, just in terms of this being a conventional war. But how much different is just the the the, the, sense, of the sense you have being there? I mean, I think anytime anyone's in a war zone, it's 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 just you know sort of discombobulating to use a, a colloquialism how has this yeah. been for the two of you given your experience it's been very interesting i mean i spent quite a lot of my army career in the middle east as uh, as a lot of other soldiers did during that period of time um it's very different here you know you can't complain it you know you can say oh as a great soldier in afghanistan and iraq but this is a very different fighting environment i think the big thing here is, you know, the welcoming of the Ukrainian people. Mm. When we pulled into the, the local area as such as where we are, they were cheering and clapping from their balconies. They were out on the street because we were the first support they had seen in over a month. Now, their own government is obviously stretched thin and they're trying their best. Um, but we were the first unit to be this far forward outside of an American surgical group, which is working in central Kiev. Um, at a higher level, obviously, um, but they hadn't seen anything like this. And they were oh, they couldn't understand that we were just giving this equipment and our expertise away because they've had so many people come and almost take advantage of the situation, Absolutely. which unfortunately happens during conflict at the best of times. But these people here are, are some of the most welcoming people ever. And I don't just mean that just because they're in a bit of a conflict and a bit of a bind. They generally... Uh, have so much thank and support for us and everyone around the world. And I'm quite happy to say that everyone here, they would put their life on the line to protect us should it come to it. Yeah, that's the surreal part. I mean, both myself and Jordan have worked as part of a large military, military organization. And now we're kind of on the flip side of that, where we're trying to help the local population just keep their country together and stay alive. 
and being on the opposite side of a larger military that's, I mean, hammering these cities day in and day out and seeing these people walking around and trying to carry on their normal lives in the midst of it. You know, they're going to the store, they're going grocery shopping, they're trying to go to work. And then an air raid siren goes off and everybody ducks and covers and the all clear signal sounds and they, they carry right on again. We didn't get that um, when we were in Afghanistan. It was more directed. And again, obviously, the Canadian forces and the British military were more concerned about keeping the civilian population alive um, than apparently the Russian military is. So it's a very different beast than anything either of us or any of the team members have ever experienced. One of the things you mentioned earlier, Chris, was just a real lack of supplies. Now, we've been obviously talking a lot about in Canada, we've been talking a lot about the the broad humanitarian effort to get stuff into Ukraine. But from where you're sitting, I gather you're not seeing much of it. No, I mean, frankly, we're not seeing uh, any of it. As Jordan said earlier, the only supplies we're seeing are the supplies that we physically go and drive out to get ourselves. And frankly, it's, it's luck of the draw. The way we've teed up with these people who have these supplies, and again, we're talking about small amounts, but everybody's doing what they can. Um, it's, it's just been through blind luck. I mean, how I tagged in and, and myself and Jordan tagged in with another member of our team uh, to begin with was just driving down the road and somebody pulled over and said, hey, um, if you guys are heading to Ukraine, you should talk to this guy. And that's how this entire thing came together to begin with. Um, so when it comes to the supplies coming in, we, we haven't seen any. Mate, sorry to disturb you. There's small arms and mortar attack happening just by here. So we just have to cut short. We need to be out on the ground. Sorry. Yep. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye now. And that was it. My conversation conversation with Jordan and Chris came to an end. Small arms and mortar attacks nearby. So they cut our conversation short, but fascinating the work they're doing on the ground. We'll get an update from them as soon as we can.